All right, welcome back. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. There are a lot of questions surrounding this main shooting. We'll get back to what's happening in the Gaza Strip coming up momentarily. But there are a lot of questions surrounding Robert Card and 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 how this unfolded in Maine, how he was able to maintain control of his weapons that later was used to kill 18 people, hurt 13 others. Uh, it, it is a horrific situation. And Bill Cusick, the owner of Action Impact Firearm Range and Training Center, uh, of course, a federally licensed firearm dealer, uh, attorney, one of the most knowledgeable people on guns uh, in our area joins us. Bill, it's good to have you. Yeah, good afternoon, Chris. How are you? Um, I'm okay. I, I think that when we when we look at this situation in Maine, um, you know, there's a lot made about, well, what can we do to stop these types of events? What what kind of resources do we need to pour into mental health to try to uh, to 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 head this off, if you will? Well, in this case, Robert Card was taken to a facility. He was evaluated. He was hearing voices in his head talking about wanting to, to shoot up a military base. I mean, it, it was some pretty serious stuff. How was he able to to keep control of his guns? Well, I'm going to assume, I mean, in this particular case, the silence is deafening, right? Nobody's addressing whether this was reported to law enforcement or not. So in Maine, they have what's called a yellow flag law, and that's uh, a watered-down version of what we're going to see here in Michigan with the red flag law. But in essence, in Maine, uh, only a police officer can petition a person into court. Before he does that or she does that, they have to get a medical evaluation. So that's something that flag law states don't have, right? So it's going to be a probable cause, in custody, apprehension by law enforcement, then a medical evaluation within 18 hours, and then a petition before a judge whether you're going to restrict. Hmm. Whether it doesn't sound, well, I, I think, I don't believe that happened, or I think we would know about it, right, with all the media and all the research that they do, and everybody's looking to break a story. If that had occurred, I think we would know that. Yeah. And so no one's addressing it. That's what I find kind of interesting. Well, I, I, I think that is going to be the main question. Once once they find this, this Robert Carr dead, alive, whatever it is, once we can start maybe picking through some of the information to see what, what exactly happened here. And, and look, as former law enforcement, you know, you, you're always learning from these situations. You're always, when you're in your debrief stage, you're always trying to figure out what went right, what went wrong. And, and I, I assume we'll get an answer to that, hopefully at some point uh, or, or another. In Maine, in Michigan, anywhere around this country, you deal with federal background checks all the time. What, yes, what kind of, what kind of uh, portions on those background checks are geared towards determining if somebody is is in a mental state to own a weapon well i think this may be what you find interesting so to be a prohibited person under federal law you have to have been involuntarily committed it's not enough to have been treated it's not enough for you to have taken yourself there what that means is a judge somewhere had to order you into a mental facility and that's all the feds are going to ever look at and that's all they currently look at. And I think that that takes people a little bit off guard. They think it's maybe a little bit more stringent than that, but it's not. 
And those are the exact words. Have you been involuntarily committed? So when you ask me what's in place, it's an honor system, right? So when you fill the form out, you're supposed to answer the question honestly whether you have been committed to a mental institution. And if you say no, no one's ever going to know if you're telling the truth or not. That would be something that might would happen subsequently. So presumably, if you've been involuntarily committed, that's supposed to be entered into the database from which the background checks derive their information. So there you go, Chris. I mean, it's not it's not quite as clear cut as people might think it is. Well, and and, and that that may be an area where it needs to be addressed. Uh, I, I to me, that seems like an area where you can make an adjustment. And, and find a way to include that type of information if people are trying to get guns. Now, it sounds like, in this case, he already had the weapons. Then he was uh, being treated for these voices that he was hearing. Um, but again, the question is how he was able to keep keep control of them. Is, is, there, is there something that you've seen from this case that has raised an eyebrow to you or has been a, you know, no pun intended, a red flag um, is there anything that you've been able to glean that, that maybe the, the layman wouldn't be able to, to pick out? Right. I, I'm, I'm starting to think there's a communication gap between law enforcement and uh, the military. That's what I'm kind of concerned with. So, you know, this the mental evaluation occurred in the military. So did they, in fact, notify law enforcement or did they keep it under wraps? So I'm just really concerned that maybe law enforcement was notified. And maybe that's why we're not aware of it. Right. I mean, here you have a guy who's hearing voices. You have a guy that uh, is in a mental institution for two weeks. He he makes no effort to conceal his identity. He hits two places that he might have a relationship with. And if not, they're almost like pistol free zones. Right. Mm -hmm. No one's bowling with a gun on. And the other one's alcohol establishment. So he hits those two places. So he's not too concerned about it. So that's why I have a hard time believing that he's some tactical sophisticated fugitive right now i don't believe that's the case those two personalities don't match up to me and perhaps i'm wrong but i just don't see it well look and, and i think that that your expertise in in all of these areas gives you a a a, a perspective that maybe most people don't have and and or can't have because they don't have the training and i think that's that's pretty valuable but but as more information comes out, I think we start to maybe see the, the bigger picture in terms of of the hunt for Robert Card. Um, there are reports now that they have the weapon. There are reports that they are looking in in water now for him. Perhaps they feel like he uh, took his own life or drowned or whatever it is. But now there are divers involved. It, you know, we, we hear a lot about when when you're searching for missing people, 48 hours, anything past that, um, you start to change your tune on on the outcome. Maybe the first 36, there's hope. But after 48 hours for law enforcement, that turns in a different direction and you start looking at at in, uh, searches and investigations differently. Does that same uh, rule apply here in terms of the the possibility of finding this guy alive this far into the search? Yeah, absolutely. It applies. So, I mean, if, unless you've really planned in advance, you've stashed provisions, you have an escape route planned, you have some support basis somewhere. If you've established that well in advance, you're a very organized criminal and your crime that you were being sought for has to reflect that. Mm. 
And we don't have that here. So I've got to believe that there's been no sightings, right? He's, uh, I, and I don't see him being a sophisticated fugitive based on the type of the way he committed these crimes. Mm. So I think when they get at the 48 hours, they're going to err on the side of cautions because they don't know 100%. There's always that remote possibility, and you don't want to be caught, you know, deficient on that. I get that. So I think they're going to keep the lockdown in effect until, I think, till they recover a body. That's what I think. Yeah. Uh, Unless he happens to get arrested somewhere. Which Sure, sure. Uh, Bill Cusick, right. always good to talk with you and pick your brain. Thank you so much. All right, Chris. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Yeah, you you do the same. Have a good weekend. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJ. I've got a bit of perspective on our situation in this country as it pertains to guns and shootings. And it's a tough conversation to have, but I want to have it with you. We'll do it coming up at 235. And it is a tough conversation, but I think it's real. I think it's I think it is one that we need to have, and potentially that spurs ideas and how we get ourselves out of this. Uh, real quick, let's go to Richard in Detroit. Uh, we're talking about the, the situation in Maine, and we're talking about the developing situation in Gaza where it looks like Israel is making a bigger step towards their ground <clears throat> incursion, and uh, certainly uh, more targets are on the radar here. Richard, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I got, I got real quick here to squeeze you in before the break. Go ahead. Well, I know that, uh, you know, most people want to have a, a one-sided Israel is right in all of these situations. But it seems like the West, um, you got to still have one rule of, of law for war. Mm-hmm. And in all of these other situations with other countries, if they bomb certain facilities, fuel, food, civilians, um, you want to get the people out there. Well, Richard, I don't. I and, think that that I think that the rules apply to everybody. Uh, everybody. I don't think Israel is blameless, but in this situation, they were attacked. They're responding. Got to take a break.